Welcome to the Salt of Carmel podcast from Our Lady of Mount Carmel Catholic Parish. We are so happy to be able to share our individual parishioner stories with the whole world. And we love it that so many of you are listening to these spiritual journeys. I'm Jody Curtis, a parishioner, and with me is my always sunny co-host, David Cook, the stewardship director at our parish. David, who's our guest today? Did you say always sunny because of my ginger beard? Is that yeah, why, Jody? That was it. That was <laughs> it. Speak. Not my not my demeanor. It's just my ginger beard. That's right. Our guest today is Hannah Hawkins. Hannah, how are you doing? I'm doing good today. How are you guys? Pretty good. Yeah. Are you a little nervous? A little. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're hard hitting reporters. We'll investigate you and get into the deep stuff. So watch out. So let's dive in. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your involvement with the parish and who you are? Yeah. Um, well, I'm Hannah. I am a senior at Purdue, graduating in December, and I cannot wait. Um, I am currently living in Broad Ripple, um, doing a full-time internship. That's kind of the end of my program is um, learning in the field rather than just in classroom. Um, I'm majoring in human services, which is Purdue's way of saying social work, but a little different. Um, I'm from Texas and came here for Purdue. Uh, I got involved with Our Lady Mount Carmel um, just through friends that I met at Purdue that are parishioners and I loved it. And now I'm around all the time. Nice. Nice. And Hannah, do you remember a time in your life before Christ? I do. Um, I actually, like I said, grew up in Texas. I moved around a lot because I was um, part of a military family. So I never really had um, a solid church or like a single like origin of where I would say my faith kind of built up until high school. Um, I had some friends that invited me to their youth group and that was just where they hung out. Um, and I went with them after a pretty tough year or so in terms of health and just high school things happen and it's hard. And, um, I started making friends, started going to the youth group and this is in Texas. It was a mega church, very Bible belt kind of situation. And I kind of say that that was the first time I met Jesus. Like that was the first time that I really had been shown and explained like this is who Jesus is not like this is what being Christian is or what religion is or anything it was like this truly is what the gospel is and in high school I decided to give my life to Christ and I was all in from there um super involved in my church I was doing everything you could do but um before that I don't I don't really have like a story of like a ton of partying or anything. I just was very hurt. Um, I had a lot of mental health things. I had a lot of physical health things and I just felt empty. I put my entire identity in gymnastics. Um, I was very involved and competitive in gymnastics. Then when I lost that, everything crumbled. Um, and kind of as events unfolded, the Lord brought me to him and kind of filled that and has been teaching me ever since. Nice. 
funny how he does that, right? Takes your low moments and makes it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> of course he does. <laughs> uh, so you said you you gave yourself over. You said yes to God in high school. Was that because of still in Texas this mega church? Would you say that that was would be a concrete moment? Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess the kind of like my moment was after a like debrief from one of the uh, mission trips that the youth like ministry had done. They were explaining what they had done and how the Lord had moved. And I had never heard anyone talk like that. And I also had never seen that kind of just like joy. And I was so depressed and miserable. And I was like, well, they're saying that you are the reason they feel this. And I, that, that was the first time I remember praying, like truly praying and being like, okay, I'll try this. If if you're saying that this is where I can feel like this, then I'll try it. And from there on, I was like, okay, you're not lying, but <laughs> things still are hard. Yeah. All that, all that mental health stuff, all the physical health stuff, it still exists. It's just less lonely. Yeah. I was going to say, you got, you got somebody in your corner now. Right. 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 And then what led you from that evangelical church to becoming Catholic? Yeah, um, that is a fun adventure that is, has been happening for the past like three and a half years. I came to Purdue and the Midwest has a Catholic community that is just unheard of in Texas. Um, I I don't think I had met other than like family members that were Catholic, I didn't know anyone that was Catholic. And what I was taught about Catholics was very not what the church actually is, um, which I'm sure no one's surprised to hear that. But I came to came to Purdue and the first person I met um, was a parishioner at Our Lady. And she was like super excited about being Catholic and about the Lord and wanted to talk about our faith and like loved that I was Christian and didn't care that I wasn't Catholic, which threw me off. Cause I was like, don't you think that I'm like wrong for not being Catholic? And she was like, no, <laughs> I was like, Oh, <laughs> um, but all her friends were Catholic and they had come to Purdue and they went to Garen. So I kind of got thrown into her friend group. And then I'm all, all of a sudden around all these Catholics coming from, Texas. And I was like, well, this is culture shock. Absolutely. This is new for me. Um, and then all of a sudden, all these things that I believed about Catholics were just being unraveled in front of me. While at the same time, I, I'm 18. I'm starting to like think for myself. I'm on my own. I'm taking a religion class at a STEM school and I'm starting to process kind of the hard parts of the theology that I was taught at that big evangelical church, um, that church taught me so much and I would not be where I am without that church at all. And it was so used in my story. Um, and there are some things that I think were misinterpreted or misconstrued um, and it was really hurtful. And so my freshman year of college, I was kind of healing from the hurt I had experienced. And um, 
really was like, I want nothing to do with the Christian community. Um, and that was freshman year, just kind of, I'm going to do this thing on my own. Um, sophomore year, I was like, okay, I don't think I want to do this on my own anymore, but I think I need to be careful <laughs> because my heart still hurts a little. And so then I started going to mass all the time at, um, the parish at Purdue and I loved it. I was like, wow, there's structure. And I remember the first time I went to mass at that parish at Purdue, I felt safe. And I had never in my life felt safe at church. I always felt like I was trying to decide whether or not what was being said was correct with what I knew from scripture. Um, because I, I mean, I did so much learning at that church because they encourage it and they taught but then I would be sitting there and I'm like, okay, well, I just read this. Like you told me to read this, but what you're saying doesn't add up. So I'm confused. And then I went to mass and I'm like, okay, well, this adds up. This makes sense. Okay. I can see where this is coming from. And I like never felt like I had to be on guard. Cause I was like, they seem to know what they're talking about. Um, and I kind of sat that way for a while, became obsessed with adoration. I would, if you didn't know where I was, I was probably at adoration. I just, adored it um what was it about adoration that made you peaceful there because did you believe in the true presence at that moment or you just wanted a place to pray yeah I think both um from the very beginning that friend that I that first friend I am still friends with I lived with her for a couple years it's wonderful and lovely but she explained what the Eucharist is in one of our first conversations. And I was like, no, yeah, that makes way more sense than the way we do it. That, that adds up for sure. And from that moment, I was like, well, that's right. I, I don't know anything else about being Catholic, but like, yes, I believe that the way that they're doing communion, even if that's the only thing they're doing right, they're doing it right, which is something. Um, so I like, loved the liturgy of the Eucharist in mass. And that was like my favorite part of mass, even though I couldn't participate at that point in time. Like I just loved it. I thought it was incredible because it was exactly what I was reading. And I was like, okay, well, I believe that this happened in scripture and now I'm seeing it and it's incredible. And then going to adoration, like I believed that the true presence was there. And I was like, this is incredible. Like I'm sitting here in front of Jesus and I love that. And it, it just was a very like safe spot, I think, for me during college to know that I could go there um, and know that, like, even though I like already believed that when I prayed, Jesus was there, he, he heard me, I didn't need to go. As we all know, it's just beautiful and wonderful to be there. So um, yeah, I loved it. And then after, I guess sophomore year is when, my sophomore year is when COVID hit. I ended up living with um, my boyfriend's family um, during COVID because of Texas was really bad. Um, I couldn't go and traveling was not good because I am in, in an at-risk category for COVID. So it just made sense to stay. And they are parishioners at Our Lady. We would watch mass every week. That was great. And then I have been thinking about it for a long time, obviously. I I mean, I had a conversation with David at a wedding one time, and that really was the first time I was like, oh, if I believe all these things, like, shouldn't I eventually 
be Catholic, <laughs> but I wasn't at the point to like be Catholic yet. I, I was just like, okay, this isn't just something that I can just like chill on. This is serious. And so then that was like playing in the back of my mind, but I went to mass and father Hurley was giving his like goodbye homily. And I just started crying and was like, I need to be Catholic like now as soon as I can. I don't know what I've been, what kind of moment I was waiting for, but like, I just need to go for it because I can, <laughs> I can overthink this forever, yeah. but I need to, I need to go for it because I don't want to be anywhere else. And I am constantly defending the Catholic faith. So shouldn't I be Catholic? And it has been, I've joined the church in April um, at Easter and it was amazing. It has been so fun since April to continue learning and growing in the faith and also just like seeing how, how much growth has come from there in ways that I never would have imagined. Um, yeah. Ah, I love it. What a beautiful story. And Hannah, um, Jesus has given us all unique gifts to help his mission of spreading the gospel. What do you think is a gift that you've been given to help you evangelize? That's a good question. I think one of the, one of like the, the funny way that I think the Lord has played a fun little joke on me is the things that I am weakest in are also the things I am most passionate about for other people. Um, I am very passionate about social work, social justice, advocating specifically for women, specifically for women that have been abused, um, exploited kids that are being exploited and abused. Um, and really the basis of that, like passion for me is that I want these people to see that they are worthy and loved and important and valuable. And there's nothing that can shake that. And I think that's my biggest weakness. Like I have struggled in so, so many ways and it has played out in so many ways that I do not feel like I'm enough or worthy or, or able. And so even though I continue to realize ways that I do not believe that fully, it is also the biggest thing that I fight for in other people, which I just think is a funny joke. <laughs> it is a funny joke. What's it going to take to get you to believe all those things that you're yeah. you know, I would love to know. I mean, I, I'm at a point now where I want to, it's like, I, I want to believe them, you know, but I don't, I don't know. My like trauma lens brain from work says, I have some work to do before I can fully believe it because there's just all this suppressed stuff going on in my brain that needs to be moved to the prefrontal cortex and be sorted through. Um, but that's my, my science side justifying things. I think really, I mean, a lot of it is more time being honest with myself um, and honest with the Lord. And that is something that in the past year I've, I've realized is, I don't want to be honest with myself and I don't want to be honest with um, God and I'm okay being honest about sin, but I do not want to be honest about brokenness or weakness. Um, Cause you think it's easier not to be honest. You don't have to deal with it. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Same. 
Like most of my prayer recently has been really shallow stuff and or falling asleep. So as long as I don't have to dive deep, I'm I'm safer on the inside. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, uh, we like to ask people how they are staying salty. We're trying to redeem the phrase of how are you staying the salt of the earth, keeping your saltiness. Basically, how are you being a good disciple? So how are you staying salty? Ah, I love that. Um, I think one of the biggest things that I know keeps me salty that I have a hard time doing is being alone. Um, I hate being alone, but I have to be alone because we just circle back to this whole being honest with myself. When I'm not alone, I don't have to be. But when I am alone, all of a sudden I start to think. Um, but when I'm with other people, I can think about them. And that's great for me. <laughs> um, so being alone has been big, especially living, I live with my best friend right now, which is a dream. And we would never have to be alone if we didn't have to, if we didn't need to, but we both need to. So um, that has been good to learn the rhythm of, okay, this is when we shut the door and we need to do some inventory. Um, that has kept me salty. Yoga has been big recently. Um, I, like I said, I'm doing a full-time internship and that has required some new um, self-care skills, honestly, with for lack of better words. Um, and yoga has been huge because it's helpful to ground myself, especially when I am listening to other people's hard stuff all day, because I don't want to have to think about my hard stuff after all of that. It's good to have that decompress that's healthy for me without overthinking. Right, right. Uh, I mentioned that we're we're hard hitting journalists, so I have a deeper question that you can choose not to answer, and we don't have to say it. But I assume you'll choose the right answer. Yeah. But, uh, you mentioned earlier that your identity was in gymnastics. Mm -hmm. What is your identity in now? Is it in helping people, or is it in God, or both? That is a very good question. I think my my answer is my identity is in God. But that took a while to get there because I've always wanted to help people. Um, even when I was a gymnast, it's always been what I want to do and how, just what I do. I, I heard something last night like about St. Francis that the reason he helps people is because he's doing everything he can to imitate Jesus, that it requires loving other people rather than loving other people because that's what Jesus says to do. And I think that's my biggest goal in I mean, my professional life, but also my spiritual personal life. I don't want to just go out and love women that are in poverty and have been abused because they're in poverty and abused because that sensationalizes them, that objectifies them. And that is hurtful. And it's just not, it's not the point. I want to go out and I want to love people that don't see that they are loved because that's what Jesus did. He didn't love the woman at the well because she was a prostitute. He loved her because she existed. And that is like, that is what my heart aches for, even when I don't do it perfectly. Um, and I think that that, that is me being rooted in Christ and still being sinful. Beautiful. Yeah. yeah. 
I think uh, I think we're kind of going on our end of time, but I think our, our call to action, you guys can jump in here if I'm if I'm wrong, but I think a call to action would be to spend some time this week and actually evaluate your life and see if you actually need to invest more time into self-help, self-help in prayer, self-help in exercise, self-help in a routine, um, and be honest with yourself in that way. Just maybe just in one thing, is it just a strict bedtime, strict time where you wake up? Is it what, here's when I'm going to work out. Here's when I'm going to read, whatever it is. Uh, yeah. What are your guys' thoughts? Yeah. That's good. Love that. Sweet. All right. Now, Jody, you want to end us with a prayer? Sure. Uh, Dear Lord, bless us today. Bless bless Hannah and her work and social work. And maybe may we all learn to be more like you as we model your ways and help others not to objectify them or not to identify them as Hannah mentioned, but as recognizing them as people and as people with needs. And may we go forth and be more like you. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, tune in next week for more hard-hitting interviews. (laughs) Get to the root of everybody's heart. As always, stay salty.